This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have a, a bit of an abrupt shift from show business to science. Last week, of course, we spoke with legendary actor Norman Lloyd about his uh, uh, career and his fabled associates in Hollywood. Today, we're going to speak with science author Sam Keen about the periodic table of the elements, no less. Mr. Keen currently has a bestseller across this nation titled The Disappearing Spoon and Other True Tales of Madness, Love, and the History of the World from the Periodic Table of the Elements. We promise that's going to be an interesting chat in our second segment today, perhaps made slightly more interesting by the fact that I did have an element collection back when I was in high school. While this may sound like a dry topic, by the time we're done telling you some of the tales of intrigue that swirled around the discovery of some of these elements, um, well, I promise you, you're going to be entertained. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. While it did not happen today in history, our date being June 9th, I'd like to start off with what happened on June 8th in 632. On that date, Muhammad ibn Abdallah, who was born in Mecca around 570 and founded the religion of Islam, died after making a farewell pilgrimage from Medina to Mecca. Muhammad became the prophet of Allah, the supreme and sole deity of the faith, who conveyed the divine scripture that was later collected into the Quran. But it was on June 9th, in the year 68, that Nero, emperor of Rome, committed suicide. Nero, who apparently fancied himself quite an actor, despite a dearth of talent, reportedly lamented upon taking his own life that... What a great artist dies with me. For more information on that, I would highly recommend Suetonius's The Twelve Caesars. When something written in the second century AD is still fall down funny, you know it's a pretty good piece of work. Speaking of the death of a man who thought he was a god, in June 9, 1951, the last group of Nazis convicted of war crimes during World War II were hanged at Nuremberg, Germany. To which we editorially add the comment, Good! And we don't know whether you caught the film Nuremberg, which was finally released in the U.S. after a 60-year gap. But it was at the crest a couple weeks back, uh, directed by Stuart Schulberg and assisted by his brother Bud. This film was basically lost to history, but was reconstructed by uh, Schulberg's daughter, Sandra, who we hope to bring on this program later this month to talk about this grim but very important documentary. And finally, on June 9th in 1978, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons, which then claimed 4.2 million members, reversed a 148-year-old policy that excluded African-American men from its priesthood. Well, better late than never. Our quote of the day comes from G.K. Chesterton, who said, Humor can get in under the door while seriousness is still fumbling at the handle. Words we sometimes try to live by here at Radio Parallax. Our quip of the day comes from comic Alan King, who said, Marriage is nature's way of keeping us from fighting with strangers. Our joke of the day comes from a New Yorker cartoon, oddly enough. It shows an undressed man sitting on an examining table in a doctor's office. The doctor's holding a clipboard, and the man appears quite overweight. He looks at the doctor and says, 
I'm going for too big to fail. Our stat of the day is 302 miles an hour. That's the speed a train between Shanghai and Beijing achieved last month in setting a new speed record for unmodified passenger trains. The high-speed route, which is scheduled to begin service next year, will cut travel time between the two cities from 10 hours to 4. Meanwhile, here in America, the world's largest economy, we just, just, just can't seem to get this high-speed rail thing going. And we're sure it has nothing to do with the fact that oil companies don't like it and that auto manufacturers don't like it. We would never think to compare this to efforts made 60 years ago to buy up the public transportation in this country and rip the tracks up, a feat performed by a, uh, a consortium set up by General Motors, Firestone, Standard Oil, and a few other nefarious partners. And by the way, that opinion, like all those heard in this program, did not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California, who, so far as we know, are itching to get on board a high-speed rail train between the Bay Area and L.A. I know we are. Our bonus joke for today's show comes from Dave Barry, who said, My family's cruise began with a lifeboat drill. We lined up in neat rows, wearing our life jackets, calmly awaiting instructions. In a real emergency, of course, we'd fight for the lifeboats like wild dogs battling for meat. Our sneakers would squish with blood. We've all seen Titanic, so we know what happens to people who wait their turn. Let us jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week some weeks back for trial lawyers in the wake of the fact that a Texas TV preacher is being sued by an employee for failing to live up to the highest standard of Christian behavior. Yes, even though we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it now appears you can actually collect money for this in court. Or at least Jeanette Hawkins is trying. She says the Reverend Marcus Lamb committed fraud by assuring her that she'd be working in a Christian environment. Lamb, on the other hand, recently admitted he'd been cheating on his wife, causing Hawkins severe mental anguish, for which she's now demanding compensation. Boy, if this catches on, I think half the, half the law school graduates in this country might get involved with Jimmy Swaggart. That is, of course, pure speculation on my part. It was, conversely, a bad week a few weeks back for enlightened management after the Chinese factories that make iPhones and iPads responded to a wave of suicides, that by overworked assembly line employees, by forcing new workers to sign pledges that they would not kill themselves. God knows if they violate that pledge, employers may want to hire some of those trial lawyers. And finally, it was an ugly week two weeks ago for... Child-rearing, in view of the fact that California officials took custody of an eight-year-old girl after her mother admitted on TV that she gave her child Botox injections before beauty pageants. Carrie Campbell said she injected the Botox herself at her daughter's request to, quote, lessen the lines, unquote, on her face. The girl, Brittany, told the TV interviewer, I just like, don't think wrinkles are nice on little girls. 
Speaking of legal proceedings in California, we're still trying to run down the story about this um, U.S. Supreme Court ruling, which by a 5-4 to four margin decided that the overcrowding in California's prison system was causing needless suffering and death and gave the state two years to thin the inmate population by 33,000. We're trying to run down the stat that California's prison population ballooned from the 20,000 range to the 140,000 range over the past couple decades thanks to this get-tough-on-crime approach we've taken. If you have some good stats on that, please send them to info at radioparallax.com. We're trying to get to the bottom of that. All right, from the Only in America file, we have the following. An Arizona teenager who cut himself making a sandwich has been billed $2,000 for bleeding on the sidewalk. Taylor Perez's wound did not require stitches, but the city of Peoria, Illinois, wants compensation for calling out the biohazard unit to clean up the droplets. Said Perez's mother, Jennifer, it's really like rubbing salt in the wound of my son. No, we don't have any explanation for why blood on the sidewalk requires you to activate the biohazard system. I mean, stitching people up in various urgent cares, which I do from time to time, has never once induced me to call the biohazard unit. From the Only in Canada file, we have the following. Canadian stand-up comic has to pay more than $15,000 for insulting a lesbian audience member. The British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal ruled last week that stand-up comic Guy Earl caused Lorna Pardee injury to her dignity and feelings at an open mic night three years ago. Pardee said that Ingalls singled her out as sitting at the dyke table, and when she booed that remark, he came down off stage and stood right next to her describing lesbian sex acts and swearing. The tribunal also ordered the owner of the Vancouver restaurant that was hosting the comedy event to pay Party $7,500. Earl called Party's accusations bald-faced lying for the sake of a cash grab and said he would appeal to the British Columbia Supreme Court. Now, we happen to know some stand-up comedians in this program. We're going to try and bounce this one off them. Folks, if you go to a comedy show, be advised that you will sometimes find yourselves being insulted and the target of the comics' barbs. This is especially true at Don Rickles' comedy events. All right, a couple items from the political scene. We did already list our disclaimer that the opinions heard in this program are mine alone, have we not? So let me point out that dirtbag, trial lawyer, and former presidential aspirant John Edwards, and, and, and I don't mean dirtbag in, in a bad way, was indicted last week by a federal grand jury on six counts of violating campaign finance laws, lying to the government, and conspiring to protect his candidacy by breaking the law. Edwards says, so far as he knows, he hasn't done anything wrong. And he further insists he's broken no laws when he hid his pregnant mistress while seeking the nomination in 2008. Which I like the fact that Edwards says, I did not break the law, and I never, ever thought I was breaking the law. Of course, that helps so much, doesn't it? I did not think that my armed robbery was illegal. All right, as long as we're delving into the wacky, about the fact that our California State Senate last month passed SB 48, 
which would add lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Americans, along with disabled people, to the list of groups that California's public schools must cover in history and social science courses. The bill by Senator Mark Leno of San Francisco would also add, quote, sexual orientation, unquote, to a list of characteristics for which teachers and districts may not sponsor, quote, any activity that promotes a discriminatory bias, unquote. You know, it seems to me just, you know, getting things like evolution taught in our classrooms is kind of like, uh, is important. And who are they going to appoint to the thought police on this one to decide that it's being taught properly? Refer to the Sacramento Bee editorial page debate on this issue, head-to-head between Ben Boychuk and Pia Lopez, who took the no and yes respective positions on the question of whether the state should require gay history to be included in school textbooks. Writing in favor of the bill, Pia Lopez said, The bill simply states, quote, Instruction in social sciences shall include the early history of California, and a study of the role and contributions of both men and women, Native Americans, African Americans, Mexican Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, European Americans, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender Americans, persons with disabilities, and members of other ethnic and cultural groups, to the economic, political, and social development of California and the United States of America, with particular emphasis on portraying the role of these groups in contemporary society. Countering this argument, Ben Boychuk said, Certainly any proper understanding of California's history requires learning about the weird and wonderful demographics of the place. But that isn't quite what Leno has in mind. I think we've all been disturbed by the phenomenon of bullying and resulting suicides in the news here in California and across the nation in recent months, he told the San Francisco Examiner last month. So SB 48 is an anti-bullying bill and an affirmative action bill dressed up as an education bill. Anyway, we would refer you to the B for that debate. I'm kind of inclined to think of this as an example of the road to hell being paved with the best of intentions. Speaking of our history and heritage, we remain intrigued by this uh, recent study of languages, which uh, shows that apparently languages migrated out of Africa and spread around the world as people did. In fact, there's some thought that human migrations can be related to the languages spoken in various locales. This refers to a study in Australia at the University of Auckland by psychologist Quentin Atkinson, who sorted 504 modern languages by the number of phonemes, which basic vowel, consonant, and tonal sounds they used to convey meaning. He found that in Africa, where humans originated, Some languages contain more than 100 phonemes, compared with about 45 in English. Languages in the last places settled by humans appear to have the fewest phonemes. Hawaiian, for example, has only 13. That linguistic pattern parallels what evolutionary geneticists call the founder effect, the tendency of smaller groups to keep narrowing the diversity of a larger population when they move away. Now, a lot of scholars have thought that languages really can't be traced back very far, The oldest language tree so far reconstructed, which is that of the Indo-European family, which includes English, goes back only 9,000 years at most. But people are pretty sure that language itself dates back at least 50,000 years, and some experts think it goes back 100,000 years. What's curious about this is that Atkinson is one of several biologists who have started applying to 
Historical linguistics are sophisticated statistical methods developed for constructing genetic trees based on DNA sequences. When the Australians reconstructed the tree of Indo-European languages with a DNA tree-drawing method, that tree indicated that the Indo-European languages were much older than historical linguists had estimated, and that it had diversified with the spread of agriculture, which occurred about 10,000 years ago. There's another subject we'd like to hear from local scholars on, and we know there are a lot of you uh, 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 who no doubt have an opinion on this, a professional opinion on this. Please don't hesitate to send those to us at infoatradioparallax.com. And speaking of language and various opinions about it, how's that for a segue? Let's uh, see what our old friend Will Durst has to say. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few words about the Republican plan to reform Medicare, which is a lot like saying the tornado plan to reform trailer courts. Of course, I'm talking about Paul Ryan's budget, in which he uses a chainsaw to perform major surgery on Medicare without benefit of an anesthetic. His plan is to replace unlimited blanket care for elders with fixed value vouchers. Coupons. He's going to hand out health care coupons. Why? Well, because it would save lots of money that he then plans to give to rich people through increased tax cuts. And besides, old people like coupons. We might even be able to convince Groupon to move into the healthcare field. Colonoscopies, normally $5,000, today only $1,200. But we need to pre-sell $2,500 by 4 p.m. Then we could phase in early bird organ transplants and discounted cardiac defibrillators at the Everything for a Dollar store. Newt Gingrich called the plan right-wing social engineering before being taken to the woodshed, after which he recanted and said any ad that Democrats air using his quote is a lie, which is redundant because every ad using one of his quotes is a lie. Donald Trump called it the Republican death wish, and when Trump is the guy in your party willing to speak truth to power, baby, you get problems. What has the GOP run and scared is a recent special election, where the Democrats used the Medicare issue to win a New York congressional seat that had been in Republican hands since Ichabod Crane ran on the Whig ticket. Admittedly, it's a long way to the 2012 elections, especially when you consider American voters have the attention span of high-speed lint, but you might want to get it used to seeing ads with old people being attacked by tax-cut zombies. That's the bad news. The good news is only 17 months until the election. Forgive me while I slip into the fetal position to wait it out. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always a pleasure having Mr. Durst on the program. Let's take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. When we come back, we're going to speak with Sam Keen about his national bestseller, The Disappearing Spoon. Stay tuned. <laughs> 